Welcome to episode 267 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. It's early in the morning, and I'm at a coffee shop a couple of blocks from where I work. I'm meeting with someone from my network who asked to, quote, pick my brain or have a, quote, getting to know you chat. This was a regular activity for me for many years, 10 to 15 years ago. Early on, my mom was concerned I was giving away too much information and that I should be charging for these consultations. I explained to her my philosophy of abundance by comparing it to giving rides to the airport. If someone asks you for a ride to the airport, you'll do it if you have a relationship and the resources, time, and a car, and it's also clear you are doing them a favor. If you consistently offer rides to the airport, you'll have no problem getting a ride when you need one, and quite possibly, it'll be from someone who hadn't even received a favor from you. You become known as someone who shares resources and supports their community. People want to help people who do that. Fast forward to 2022, and I'm thrilled to be surrounded by generous and talented professionals who share this philosophy. We believe we all benefit when we share knowledge with our community. Spending time and money is often based on the model of scarcity. The more given away, the less you have. Conversely, giving away knowledge does not deplete us of knowledge. It opens up endless possibilities. I'm thrilled to share that over 20 of these awesome people have joined together in a wonderful collaboration called the Epic Leadership Resources Giveaway. We're each giving away our most effective strategies to help you make a positive impact no matter what kind of work you do. Your challenge this week. Here is just a taste of the 20 plus resources that are being given away. The Confidence to Lead ebook. Principles for Powerful Emotionally Intelligent Leadership. Sustainability, Nine Essentials for Leaders ebook. Five Speaking Landmines and How to Avoid Them. And Are You Cultivating Courageous Leaders? Take this quiz. What am I giving away? Since Small Liz Big Results launch a successful offer no matter the size your email list was released, I've been seeking opportunities to share these strategies. I recently had the opportunity to present Leverage Your Virtual Network to Grow Your Business to the WBEX Global Coaches Community. I'm giving away the 90-minute replay of that presentation, plus the Big Results Toolkit that has several bonus resources to help you implement these strategies. This giveaway runs from February 1st to February 21st, so don't delay. Select the resources you want to download at robbysamuels.com forward slash giveaway. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash giveaway. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, before we dive into this week's interview, I want to give a quick reminder that I'm hosting a full day workshop to share how to validate your big idea and build an audience before you try to sell it. It's called the Idea to Offer Workshop, Saturday, February 12th, 1130 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. You can learn more at robbysamuels.com forward slash idea, the number two offer. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash idea the number two offer. You'll learn how to discover your ideal clients who are already in your orbit, that you have a much larger list than you thought, 
a method to wake up your network that leads to calls with likely prospects and much more. These are all strategies from my latest book, Small List, Big Results, and I want you to bring a notebook so you can take tons of notes, but also be camera ready so you can connect with fellow entrepreneurs during the several breakout room small group discussions that we're going to be planning because we heard feedback that people loved the community aspect of my trainings. Again, you can register at robbysamuels.com forward slash idea, the number two offer. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest creates big value for business owners by connecting them with their ideal customers and clients using creative, strategic, and authentic digital advertisements. In 2021, she managed over $50,000 worth of ad spend on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, helping about 20 small business owners expand their reach and explode their sales with digital ads. She's a CPA who spent the first six years of her career with PwC. The combination of her experience, big six accounting, small business ownership, and advertising for hundreds of locally owned Miami businesses proved to be perfect to create her new Facebook and Instagram ad strategy and management agency. Please join me welcoming Meredith Callagher. Hey, thanks for having me today. Meredith, thanks for joining us from your place in Miami, Florida. And as you know, this is a show about building strong connections and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Robbie, I really am so glad to be here. Okay, so leadership I defined as influencing others to use their expertise and skills to create together big value for the world or small value, just value for the world. I love that. Yeah. So this is interesting. And I'm curious how you started to realize you had some of those skills for your for yourself. It's funny because you gave me a couple of questions we might talk about before this. And as I thought about it, I, I realized um, in college little bit ago, about 20 years ago, I was in a social group of about 150 women. And I was actually the events chairman um, where I would week, stand up each week and talk about an event we were having. And um, as I would just sort of stand up and tell them what was going on and sit down, it didn't seem hard or complicated, but I had people after the meeting say, it's just repeatedly one person would say, we love it when you stand up and talk, or you're so funny when you stand up and talk. And I just thought I was communicating a message, but I sort of, it was then hearing people reflect back to me that um, they like to listen to me that um, I thought, aha, I, I don't, it's, I, that was when I had an aha moment, really like, oh, people listen to my ideas, even when I'm not trying to effectively make change. I'm just what I thought was reporting news. Yeah. I think, I mean, it shows you had some influence in that space in a way that you didn't realize you had prior to that. I'm actually kind of curious. I love that you, you brought us back to college, but let's even roll the clock further back, Meredith. What were you like on the playground? Like, what were you like as a kid? You know, did you, did you seek out opportunities to be in the front of the room? Um, you know, was that already who you were back in the day? It, it was. And I think I've always loved people and, um, really enjoyed, uh, just being with people and learning about them. And, and, and so I think, yeah, for sure. In elementary school, I was um, not afraid to just look for opportunities to get to the front of the class and to lead. And I do think that I went through a time probably in high school and maybe college too, where I started worrying 
um, second guessing myself and worrying, worrying what people would think about the kid that isn't afraid to be loud or to love on people. I mean, I always was uh, wanting to be, I mean, at the time it felt like be everybody's friend, but honestly, it was really a, a desire to get to know people and being interested in people. And so um, that was something, you know, somewhere along the lines of my twenties and thirties, even um, I had to quit worrying about what other people thought. And I think it helped me with my leadership comeback. So I definitely explored opportunities, but like for my senior class, I ran for vice president. I was too chicken to run for president, you know? <laughs> and, um, but like elementary school, me would have been working on that presidential run, you know? Yeah. Would have had the, would have had the acceptance speech already written. Exactly. So, <laughs> but I think as, as I've grown older, I've been able to, to um, let go of a lot of that what people think. Yeah. The angst around it. Was mm -hmm. there someone that an adult around you or a teacher or a family member who saw that potential in you and really sort of nurtured it and gave you opportunities or just acknowledged it for you and named it for you? Um, not that I had a favorite teacher, um, in high school that he taught, um, us all three years. I had him all three years of high school. We started in 10th grade. Um, I'm not sure that if it was about that leadership, one thing he did for me is, um, I don't know why I got to write, read a recommendation he wrote. Um, it feels like he gave a sealed. I don't know if I opened it when I wasn't supposed to or or he let me read it. But um, he said one thing he that was, uh, you saw my Meredith's intelligence in the questions that she asked. And um, and it just him saying that gave me freedom to keep asking questions and not be because um, I know he knew I made, you know, decent good grades or I wouldn't have asked him for that. But it, that was so nice for me to see. Because again, sometimes you feel like annoying when you're asking questions or, or whatever. So that was really helpful for me. What's wonderful is uh, I'm always reminded when I'm having these uh, these interviews that the, that we are now the adults that get to, to give that feedback to other people. Um, yeah. even fellow adults <laughs> right. about what we see in them. And, and that um, it's, it's hard because you're, while you had that one person give you that one sort of you know, accolade, you also have all this messaging telling you to sort of be smaller and quieter. Um, and, 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 you, and you, we almost have to counteract that. Um, how did you counteract that? Because I don't see you today as the person who's smaller and quieter. Here you are putting yourself on all these different shows, you're building your own business. Was there any kind of transformative experience in your twenties and thirties that kind of helped you realize, you know what, I'm playing small here. I can't, I can't worry about what people are thinking. Um, I, well, not necessarily. I think it was persistence and, um, I mean, and maybe listening to other people too. Um, just, so I just, I had some, there, there's nothing big, but like learning that, people aren't really thinking about us all the time. Like no one really cares. Like, and that that's huge. And I, I have teenagers, so I wish I could make them to understand. I have three teenage kids that, um, that can get crippled by worrying what people think of them. Just like, and then I, my 17 year old son, I want to tell him, honey, nobody cares. Like really no one is thinking about you. You can do whatever you want. You know, I learned that. And then most recently it's been three years, but I've, I really, um, uh, started practicing the gratitude practice three years ago. And that's another thing I've been thinking about one of my teenagers recently, I need to get her to be more thankful, but 
think it is helpful every morning to jot down three to five things I'm thankful for. It has shifted um, my days, you know, to look for things I'm thankful for and, and, and be thankful for my gifts too, which are sometimes feel big. <laughs> your, your comments about your kids makes me think of something I've shared before, which is when I was 12, um, uh, I, I wasn't invited to something um, that like someone moved away and they forgot to invite me after they moved. And I don't know, like I, you know, it was months, months later, I'm still thinking about it. And like that person's life is moved on. And my mother said, you're only the main character in your own play which is not the thing a 12 year old wants to hear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's true. And as an adult, I could really appreciate, you know, it's a lot of what you're saying. It takes a lot of effort to show up on someone else's stage consistently. But once you are there, it's like your best friends are your best friends, whether you see them today or not for six more months. Right. But initially no one's really paying attention when you're trying to, when you're like, I'm trying to show up on this person's stage. And like they, all they're thinking about is themselves. Like they're the main character in their own play. And that's the way they think about the world. And they view everything. Like the, they're, they're as much worried about how they're showing up in that room as like you are. So they're exactly. really not going to notice the misstep that you made. And exactly. um, yeah, so you can share that wisdom. I know. With, see I like how that, that lands. Sometimes it does land better when I say Robbie said, and it's, they, they would like you, even if they've never met you more than right. Of course, your mother saying this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I do think that this is something that, um, you know, we have these moments of of, of blossoming early on, but then, you know, the the societal pressures can sort of slow us down. What did you think you were going to be? Like the thing you are today didn't exist. So, so what did you think you were going to be? Did you know, you headed off to university to a college? Like what, what was your plan at that initial point? So I started university with, in pre-med as a math major. And honestly, um, I still am not a big um, vision thinker. I um, think more about the here and now. And I, I really love numbers. And I thought, well, some of the people that are the best at numbers become doctors. And that sounded fun to me. And um, and I got in there and I really didn't like the labs. Like I, I did. It was true. I liked the application, the class. The, in the classroom, but when we got to the biology lab and the chemistry lab. And so I lasted, I did it, but for a year and a half, that's another thing is um, I am pretty persistent. And um, so I've also learned to give myself a little grace and, you know, if you're not liking something, that's okay. <laughs> like you can try something else. And um, but yeah, so I, I switched to, I mean, I had to make a lot of mistakes. I switched really to accounting because um, my friends in business, the business schools seemed to think that was an impressive major, like the, cause it's hard for some people, but as it was easy for me, um, that just made sense. And so, um, was, you know, I was like, okay, I'll just get this accounting degree. And I did, and I got sort of the, the dream job for an accounting major was to go work with, at the time, big, they were big six. Now it's four, but um and I did that for six years, even though I really didn't like it from the beginning. I because um, the the um, I'll say sometimes uh, that the accountants that get paid really well. Um, what well, I say, I like the accounting that that they don't pay for very well, crunching numbers and uh, debits and credits and and playing with calculations. And auditors at PwC, they. Um, look at more accounting philosophy and like, it's more like law school or lawyers, which is so boring to me. <laughs> I like seeing things, making things happen. 
calculations. So anyway, but I did, I learned so much. So, and then I thought, well, what have I learned from this? I took what I learned at PwC working for six years and I became an entrepreneur and it's, it's helped, it's helped, it served me well, but I sort of, it wasn't because I planned for it. It's because I. What year did you, um, you know, go into the world of entrepreneurship? When did this all start? Um, it would have been, um, probably around 2004. So, oh, interesting. It's going back a ways. Yeah. Yeah. So did you already have entrepreneurs in your life as you're making this decision or like, how did, I mean, most people who leave like a big six type of job, like a real J-O-B would then just go, you know, maybe shift to a smaller firm. Yeah. Or somewhere. (laughs) Um, I think I, but I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I just trust myself it was risky. And of course, and I was, um, and I had a husband that was being supportive. So, and he, we met at Pricewaterhouse and he was staying on. So I definitely had a luxury of, um, uh, basically financial backer, meaning like we, mm-hmm. I was, I was still going to eat if it didn't work. You know what I mean? Cause he was making enough to support the two, just the two of us in a small apartment. And, but so, yeah, so, and I, um, and so I, I don't know. It wasn't a big decision. I wish I could say it was a real thought. Did you, did you have a plan? Like, or what was the plan? I should say, like, what kind of entrepreneurship were you aiming to do now that you have this accounting background? What was your initial thought? Oh, Robbie, I wish I, I wish I could tell you this. It was all, it was very calculated and it they were big at the time. I, um, I was, I was working from home. I bought a franchise that was, creating baby announcements, which is interesting because I don't, um, I'm not, that's not a gift. I still have like, um, I'm not artistic first of all. And, um, and, uh, but this woman had a good sales pitch on, she had a system where she, um, you bought a franchise from her and you represented, um, her business or at a baby's RS. And at the time, um, that had a baby would go register at Babies RS, and then they got a catalog in their registry, and they only got a couple things in their registry, and one of them was this, was this baby announcement. And so, my what I bought from her was the rights to like three Babies RSs um, in Texas. I lived in Dallas at the time, and I, I get I was just brave. Like I was like, oh, I can do that. I was pregnant at the time, so <laughs> I thought that gave me. I think that young and like that gave me right. Uh, Credibility. Yeah. It's so interesting. So the woman who had the idea for this was brilliant because she could have limited it to just her local store, but instead she figured out how to franchise it and actually reach a national audience by creating a franchise and then franchise fees. And for you, you get access. I mean, it's, it was sort of like a given, like there's going to be babies. They're going to get reg- parents to register at this one store. There's not a plurality of options out there. They're going to want to do a baby announcement. We don't have Facebook, right? The, like people are going to use the postal mail and you're like, I could do that. And so I just like, how did you, you know, you were pregnant. You said you, you know, you're about to have a child, right? That timing. So you must feel like there's some credibility. What, what are your thoughts about this being the, the way forward? It just felt like very different from accounting. Right. And one thing I didn't mention is that a little bit forced out of PwC where it was, I chose, but this 2004 was right after, and I don't know if you remember, but Enron was um, collapse. They basically were cooking their books in it to dumb it down a little. But, and Arthur Anderson of the big six got in trouble. They, in both companies, um, 
went kaput. Um, and so everybody that worked from Arthur Anderson all over the country in the United States, right? Probably all over the world. We're looking for jobs. About that time, I wanted to, I was in Zurich. I went and worked in Zurich, Switzerland for two years for PwC. And that um, it was time for us to come back. My husband too, I had married my husband before we went to Switzerland and we were both working for them. And they said, hey, listen, you can come back, but not yet because we just hired Anderson people. So we need you in Switzerland for a little while um, until and we find you jobs. And I was like, you know what? Why don't you just find one job? Because I, like I said, I, I didn't like it. And it had been six years that I've and I took it as a time. I did love, I mean, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to live in Switzerland and thankful for the whole thing. But at the time, I was like, I'm kind of ready not to work. And it's telling me again. And so, yes. Um, so to be fair, like I didn't have a job and then this franchise presented itself and I was, thought I had some skills and I was eager to learn, but also I realized, and I don't know if I, thought about it this way, but I looked around at my friends and people that I knew, my network, and looked at how I could help them. Well, we were all, pre- a lot of my people were pregnant. A lot of my friends were pregnant and I thought, I can help them with baby announcements, you know? So it's sort of all the stars aligned for me then. And yeah, yeah I just had to learn how to <laughs> make the baby announcements. But this woman taught me that. So that was, that was good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's such a funny like out of nowhere skill set to have acquired that at the time probably felt really perfect, but you've you've gone on and mastered um, a lot of a lot of new modalities and communication methods that back in two thousand four like literally were not a thing um, right. or only a small, I mean, in 2004, Facebook existed, but only for people at a university, like, you know, Twitter didn't exist yet. Like all these things you're now dabbling in Instagram and all the new ways that we communicate um, have really shifted and changed. When did you start to become interested in all of this new stuff and making this your specialty? Slow evolution, but I bought another that I ran for almost six years more recently. And it was, um, you, there's one in Philadelphia. It's called the Scout Guide Miami. And it is a magazine that the Scout Guide is in 60 cities. It's a beautiful, um, I called it a coffee table magazine. It was sort of made on thicker paper. It's small, like eight and a half by 11 size. It's very, um, a high-end print piece. And when I came franchise, and, and it has, it features local businesses of local business and and their tagline is learn to um like you can live a great life it's been two and a half years and i can't remember the tagline but it's like live like like a local wherever you are so if you're visiting you can live like a local and then also you know you well like how by supporting your local businesses, you know live beautifully and so we would feature a variety of local businesses that would pay a pretty expensive for them to advertise in this book because the printing and the photography and the graphic design was really expensive and um, for the business. So it was, it ended up being more like a high-end businesses that could afford the print piece. But as part of that, right when I came on, franchisor required us to have a Facebook page called the Scout Guide. Mine was Miami. But the other franchisees, um, I came in about they had probably been around for five years and then I did for five years. So they were starting to realize they needed Instagram too. This was now about seven years ago, but the franchise or didn't require it, but we started, um, I had a 
uh, Instagram account called TSG Miami, the Scout Guide Miami. And um, I ended up starting putting it in my contract because the clients really wanted it. But I did influencer type marketing for the businesses. And I limited it to only people that had paid to be in the print guide. That um, I wouldn't let pay me to just run an, um, an Instagram ad for them. But I did, if I visited your store or I visited your restaurant and I liked it, I would put you on as a organic. To, so it made the account interesting. So yeah, so that really grew because it was information. And I, that's how I, I learned um, Instagram that way. So I guess your question was, how did I get into it? A lot of it was from necessity, you know, and then I would learn something. And I, I guess that's advice to people, especially as you get older, like, don't be afraid a lot of people my age and then older, I see my parents are really afraid to try new things, but if you're open to it um, and then, and keep and are per- persistent, like, you know, I, I've made, I promised myself a post a day well, when you end up doing 365 posts in one year and you, you know, you become an expert. So. Yeah. You become really good. You see what works. You can test mm-hmm. things. I mean, um, my story around zoom is very similar you know, I was using Zoom just as a as a coach to like do one on one small groups, masterminds, all pre pandemic. And then when the pandemic hits, I host a virtual happy hour for the first time, March thirteenth, twenty twenty, and that short story like leads to a thriving new uh, six figure company in eight months because oh, cool. I you know consistency and also this idea of like getting five percent better every time you you do something and that compounded effort really paying off. And it sounds like you consistently, you know, testing things and seeing what works and learning about the rules, the road for each of these different um, social channels and, you know, how, how people respond to it and and how you, how you have a conversation on one is not mirror. I mean, I think we've all made the mistake of using a service that took the same piece of text and just like blasted it like six places. And it's like, no one uses those that doesn't, no, it doesn't really work. You know, like, right. um, like having a conversation within the context of a certain platform makes sense versus like just trying to post everywhere without actually having a conversation. I, I could see how like that gave you a way to be paid to learn too. I mean, that's another sort of mm-hmm. takeaway maybe is, you know, you were given the opportunity as a byproduct of this franchise you're running. You took it upon yourself. It wasn't, franchise or did not, require you to have that page, you could have right. done the minimum and mm-hmm. just stayed on the Facebook page, which probably around that time is when Facebook page organic reach really started to tank too. I think um, so. Yeah. It really started being more and more difficult. And people had built up these, you know, tens of thousands of people were fans and like suddenly you couldn't reach them unless right. you paid for an ad and it was like a whole thing. So so Instagram becomes like this interesting other al- alternative option that I think at the time, probably fewer people were taking advantage of. Um, you're at the forefront of that. And now here you are years later, a person who has a lot of experience, not just running your own company, which is I think what we usually have experience in, but you've done this for so many other people um, yeah. and learned from their accounts as well. When did you realize now you want to do that as opposed to that plus this high-end print book, which I imagine getting people to pay for the ads uh, in a print book starts to like probably become less of a, an attractive uh, offer over time. Yes. Because <laughs> um, they, they, they have to create a really beautiful ad, right. um, which costs them more money. Whereas like it costs less money for you to do something on Instagram. I, I imagine. Um, when did you finally realize, wow, this is not working and I have, I could take these skills somewhere else. 
Well, again, it's like I wish I, I wish I sounded like I, I figured it all out. But what ha- there was a hurricane that hit Miami in 2018. It wasn't terrible. I think the um, the west side of Miami, of Florida, got it worse. But it was Hurricane Irma. If I was wondering, and it, but it did. We lost some businesses, lost power for. 21 days. Like when the hurricanes hit, I'm like, cause I'm not, a, I've been here 10 years now, but I'm not a native. I didn't grow up with hurricanes. Um, they let, they get the residents up and running first. And so we are, we got power fairly quick power fairly quickly. The, a lot of the businesses really struggled. And so this was before the pandemic when they really, really struggled. And so, um, it was right when I was trying to wrap up sales, I think for the next book. And it was, really tough. Um, and so I just decided to start looking for something else. So the next year, which would have been 2019, I was doing both. I started working on a course, um, an, an online course. I thought I'm going to teach people about organic Instagram. And I partnered with a friend, another local business. And we decided, we learning from an online course expert who I still adore, Amy Porterfield, we were following um, a method um, and she, you know, had suggested about niching down. So we decided we were going to help doctors um, create an organic Instagram strategy. And we created a beautiful course and we launched it uh, following Amy Porterfield's um, steps. And I hired a Facebook ads manager because Amy had suggested Facebook ads and and that Facebook ads manager, she did exactly what we asked her to do. You know, we wanted I and again, I love the numbers, like analyzing how the numbers work. So I figured out I wanted 500 people to come to this free webinar and I wanted webinars, a series of them. And I wanted to use ads to get them there. And this girl did it like that. And I thought that was so cool. I mean, we paid for it, but she told me how much I had to pay her for the ads. And, and so the course we did not, once they came the the course, it didn't work, which is normal in online courses. Sometimes you have to then tweak the message. And, and so we did sell as many as we wanted to the first time. So as we were tweaking it, the pandemic hit and because we were um, serving doctors, we got some pretty interesting opportunities. Like people saw us as marketing experts for doctors. So, um, that, that, uh, my partner that I was working with, it sort of derailed. She's in for, um, COVID clinic, basically. I'm a guy that built clinics and, and, a van. that was somebody we helped. And we helped another guy that was selling, that was developing antibody tech. Anyway, it was it just went in a strange way, and of course, it never got off its feet. But what I learned from that is like, wait a minute, I really liked what that ads manager did. So that's how. So that's how I got where I am now. I don't even know that was your how I. So I, interesting. Oh, I, yeah. I want to peel this back a little bit, Meredith. Okay. okay. Um. Uh. So, uh, which is so interesting. So my new book really yeah. feels very relevant to this conversation. Um. Okay, called Small List, Big Results. Launch a successful offer, no matter the size of your email list, and. Yeah. The strategy you just described, and and much love to Amy. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't like followed her courses or anything, but that idea that you're gonna like, you know, know enough about your audience to to get the right ads, to get the right people, to have the right message, to then to then run a pilot. And my methodology is to look within your existing network for people who know where to know, like, and trust you, who who need something along the lines of what you want to offer, and they'll tell you exactly what 
they yes. need. Like, and their their understanding of it's so different from yours. Like they they're looking kind of in a small picture kind of problem way. And you're like, whoa, you're not even seeing. Like that's just a little symptom that you're getting stuck on. But okay. So it's like using that problem language to like develop the right messaging to invite them to then pilot it with you before you build the big thing and the the paying for, sure. for the ads. Yeah. <laughs> um but what's cool about your story is that because this is why I think, you know, doing anything is still better than doing nothing. You learned a lot from the experience. And in particular, there's this one sort of part of it around this person who was able to like generate those results around getting people into a room. You were like, wow, ads can be so effective. So you were like, uh, and you already had the Instagram background. So you could see how marrying the two would be really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that there's a point where um, and I was saying this to you before we even like got on the air, like I'm, I'm a big believer in sort of starting small and starting with like your own local network of your people. But then once you have people paying, like once people have paid for your offer and, you know, you've proven it, you've validated it. Well, now you've got to really find more leads. You've got to like increase your reach. And I think at that is the point to really find someone who understands what you do, because then you could articulate, like if I were to talk to you, I could really articulate who I'm trying to reach because I've already met them. Whereas three years ago, if I'd talked to you, I'd be like making stuff up. I'd be like, yeah, I think they drink Starbucks (laughs) instead of Dunkin'. And um, when they listen to podcasts, it's probably in their car. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're Jim. I, you know, I wouldn't like just like making stuff up. Yeah. I think you're about this age. Like totally I think when, I, when people are like, oh, I don't know about my ideal client, I'm like, that's the wrong time to throw money into it. But once you know, because then you can get into that granular detail. Um, I'm seeing how you were saying like using these creative, strategic and authentic digital advertisements. I'm reading from your intro. Yeah. I love the authentic piece of it. It really stands out to me. What do you mean by that piece? Because like, I think the numbers are part that I get, you know, like, how how do you make this not feel like that just spammy, you know, ad pushy messaging that a lot of people are sort of falling into? How do you make it more like the relationship piece? Well, how do I make an ad more the relationship piece? Is that what you mean? Or how or do I just like yeah. how do you think holistically about the the whole sort of strategy and process? And how do you educate the 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 client about how to interact with all of this so that it's their voice and and their messaging. Well, wait, let me back up a little bit um, because after I did have that experience, right? Everything you're saying, it took me a minute to learn. And and Amy Porterfield was probably saying this at the beginning, but there, and I wasn't the only one. There's a lot of people that are like, oh my gosh, I have a great idea for a digital course. Let's build it. I know they're going to love it. And we're going to spend a bunch of money on it. And so because we didn't sell what we wanted to or not very many... And I think there's tweaking. And if you keep investing money, if you have the money to, you could figure it out. But a better way is to have a proven offer. Like you're just like you're talking about, sell it to people, you know, and then once you sell it to people, you know, we can look at exactly what you said to sell it and exactly it was who bought it. And what's cool about Facebook ads is that the target, especially if you're reaching nationally or you have a bigger reach than just locally you really can target on interest and we can look at the interest of your buyer and then target interest. And just so people are clear on that, sometimes 
the audiences are smaller, so you just need to target um, zip codes and you can't get into the interest as much. They still work well, but it's cool nationally. I can really replicate who your ideal buyer is. And it's better to say authentic. Let's look at what you said. If you don't remember, let's look at what you're posting on Instagram. If that's, if your buyer's following you on Instagram and let's say that in the ad, like don't try to copy Brene Brown and what she's saying or, or like some leader that isn't really the way you talk. And um, let's be as real as you um, be as close to who you are in the ad. So you get people, yeah, let, let's make sure we're getting, I mean, who you as authentically as we can. So we get um, your customers in the end are happy to work with you. They get who they think they're getting. Um, I think that's important. Yeah. Um, I did have a change. So for me, I started because I'd had that experience trying to sell a course. I didn't sell. Like I really was preaching um, to people. I And for the first time in a while, I only want to work with about eight people at a time, which felt was awesome because when I was, um, you know, before I'd wanted 50 clients at a time, 60 clients at a time. So I was able to go to my network and say, these ads are going to be great for you and you and you, you know, and let's go. So, so I was able to say, if people came to me, do you think ads would work for me? And I would say, do you have a proven offer? No, go sell that coaching business uh, that I think sounds great, but go sell it to 10 people first. Um, but the truth is, you know what, Robbie, uh, one other thing, um, I have changed my mind a little bit. If, as long as I'm if you have that course that you really think is awesome and you don't want to wait around, you want to just try to sell it with ads because you don't want to try to network organically, that's fine. Ads are a great way to test something quickly. I mean, you know, I, um, there's not a, like, I was able to get in, in front of 500 doctors fast. Now it cost me money and I was able to test the course and they said no, but it, um, but it, to get in front of 500 doctors to say no organically would have taken a lot longer, you know? So it, well, if you'd only had 10 doctors, you could have reached organically. Yeah. Yeah. I, it would have, it's better. Yeah. It's yeah. better. But if, I, guess I mean, it's all time versus money in, in exactly. the end. Um, I don't know. The other, I guess the other way I think about this, this is which I haven't talked to anyone who has your expertise in a while about this uh -huh. is like, that same skill set could have been another subset of people. Like if you didn't have doctors in your network, I'm sure you could have been like, oh, well, we don't have doctors, but look, we looked at our list and we all have X kind of business owners. Like, yeah. we know, these people, they need this also. Let's test it. And then you might eventually have, you know, a variety of programs that reach different kinds of targets. But you, you're just getting the initial idea off the ground, um, you know, spending a couple of months just trying to, tweak it locally. Like, I mean, local in the sense of like from your mm -hmm. own network. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I just say this as someone who has spent money on things and like similar to you, it's like, you get so excited, you know, it's going to work. I mean, I bought a learning management system in 2015. I didn't have a course. I paid for that for a year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I was yeah. so convinced it was going to all happen. Uh, and it's like, own paying money to a company does not make you an entrepreneur. No. Having clients who pay you that's what <laughs> makes you a business. Um, and I, and I, uh, but that nuance of like, how can you, once you nail that, like, how can you amplify your reach? Because I think you can exhaust your own network pretty quickly. 
um, maybe you can do a couple of rounds of something like tapping into your own network. But at that point, like I've been using a lot of just LinkedIn, like posting and messaging. A lot of my folks are on there just okay. to kind of increase that visibility and like bring people in. Um, but it's really interesting to think about. I'm, I'm actually just starting to think about like, how does Instagram fit into what I do? Mostly because my team loves Instagram. Right. <laughs> and my team's like, Hey, we could repurpose all the stuff you're doing and like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, please teach me. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk about that. Um, yeah. So I do, I wonder, it's like, I think knowing where your audience is and then working with people who understand how to reach them could just save you so much time compared to your own organic effort, Yes, <laughs> which could be teaching you something, but you're like limiting, it feels like some of your potential if you never invest. There's a point where it really, I think almost makes like it's obvious sense that you should be investing in, in something more than what you're organically able to do. Um, I just think a lot of us rush forward. <laughs> exactly. I'm totally with you. I think it's so smart to um, try all your um, options organic first before jumping too fast into, into exploding it out and, and really to do something you love. I mean, um, I love Instagram too, so that's nice. I mean, I didn't know till I tried it, but, but it's, it's good like I, um, I don't know. I can't remember which kind I was talking to, but that they they hate it. Well, don't do it then. I mean, if it's if you really like LinkedIn and you you have it, you might like Instagram too if you gave it a shot. But if you decide you didn't, then I would say don't. There's a you know don't do it because right. why like fight that battle every day? And if someone if there was someone on your team that could do it well for you, representing you. But a lot of times I see with Instagram, and I know that's not what you're saying. You didn't say if you liked it or not, but I'm just, I think it is really done well. If the owner can do it themselves, like it's hard for a social media management company to, in my opinion, to nail it. It's just because the engagement is so important and like yep. people don't want graphics to like about the business. Like, I think that real native posts, like uh, pictures that don't feel professional, too professional, do really well. Anyway, so I think that um, doing something you love, but really giving it a go and reaching to your network and not being afraid of what people think, because that's what people have to get over. Really talk to, you know, people that you already know and that love you and see what they want, what you can, how you can help them. And then, and then once you find something, that's the best route and then build it out. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious as we're sort of wrapping up here. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically about networking because clearly all along the way, like you keep getting introduced to these really interesting franchise opportunities. You um, have partners that you mentioned that you, you worked with. Um, you had to network to find people who wanted to, pay for the ads in the print book. Um, yeah. You then, you know, had to network to find people who wanted to get help with their Instagram and their Facebook. Like, like, so you have definitely as a part of building yourself up and as your, as your business has grown, your network has shifted and changed pretty dramatically. How do you think about nurturing, not just that inner sort of, you know, the inner circle of your closest friends and family, but sort of that that second and third layers out the people you you met a year ago, you know, at a conference, but you, you sort of maybe you meet annually at a conference. You see them all the time, but only once a year, or someone you worked with five years ago, but in this new iteration that like you're doing, like you don't really have a reason to reach out to them, but you like them. <laughs> like yeah. that's the key. Like these are people you liked. Any practices or habits or philosophies to just sort of maintain connections over time um, with sort of maybe these like um, weaker connections in your network. Um, I, I, 
Um, no, I think that um, I don't have like a system in place where I reach back out to them. But one thing that works well for me that, um, you know, that I've realized recently, because recently this past weekend, I think um, a, a woman that I worked with at Pricewaterhouse my first year and we had not seen, and my husband was worked with her as well. We had not seen in 22 years, I think. And, um, and we, 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 she and I were actually at college together and, um, it was not like, I love her. I just, I don't be weirded out by time or that that's what worked well for us when we visited. I mean, it was like, we really did fall back into sync like 22 years ago when we, um, when we were good friends. And so I think, what worked then was just remembering that somehow we connected, like our hearts connected really well. And like, it doesn't matter of time, um, how much time passed. I think, I think that is the thing I was thinking about talking to you and I know you're a networking expert. And I think what's worked for me is not overthinking it. Like just, um, and, and I'm lucky because I do, I know people, there are people that don't enjoy talking. They like, they like relationships, but they don't care about networking or talking to people as much. That's fine too. But I, I worry, I talk too much and I worry that I'm, you know, walking a room and, and I, I quit worrying about that. Like, I think what worked for me is to just go really enjoy people, listen, and then, um, and then don't, don't overthink it. Don't be weirded out. If I haven't talked to him in five years, just, and I want to talk to him, call him and don't worry. You know, I'm so curious how you ended up reconnecting with this person from 22 years ago. What was Um, the catalyst? Well, it's funny because I, on Instagram, I noticed I, I, um, right now I'm not, I'm, I, I'm on Instagram. I have a business channel, but I am not promoting my business Facebook ads because I hadn't needed to, meaning I don't have a strategy to try to reach new clients on Instagram because, but I, I, I report my personal life, the stuff I want to share. And, and I noticed she follows my stories. And, um, she watches, but she's one that never posts on Instagram, but it was so fun to see that she watched. So she reached out. So I guess it is like, I, and I, another thing I do is I send an email once a week to my list. And I actually talked, I do talk about Facebook ads in my email and I'm always surprised to read it. It's like, you know, people I've collected over the years, like doctor, some of the doctors that this really doesn't apply to them. They open it. And my friends from Pricewaterhouse. So I guess I consistently, share, communicate with my network. And that I have reaped benefits of that because they feel comfortable reaching out to me, you know, which is what happened in this case. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that is a strategy, even though you didn't think you had one. I mean, the fact that you are consistently putting content out there, sharing about your own life, sharing about the things growing in your business, um, things that bring you joy. I mean, you're just sort of like weaving all that in. Um, and that way people sort of have a reason to reach back out to you and connect with you. And like, you know, even 22 years later, they don't feel like they're reaching out to a stranger because they, they have been watching your stories on Instagram. They like, yeah. they like kind of know what's going on. And that's, that's really neat. And if you had not been posting, they wouldn't have stumbled across that and you'd still not be reconnected. So there's a little bit of like, I think us putting ourselves out there and also not hesitating, like you said, not worrying about what other people would think if we would enjoy hearing from them, then mm-hmm. we should reach out to them um, and sort of see where these opportunities go. I, I that's I think such a big part of a lot of the stories I've heard on my own show is just the people who are like, I don't know, I just don't hesitate to when I think of someone, I just I just reach out to them. Like, yeah. And and I think other people who like have fancy CRMs, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
still like get nervous about doing the actual reaching out. Right. <laughs> like you can have systems, but then not like use them because you're like, uh, but I don't know. Their name popped up, but I don't know what I should, you know, what would yeah. I say? It's like other people just like acting more on instinct. Um, this has been really fun. I want to just bring us to our final wrap up question, which is if we're reconnecting a year from now and I expect we will stay in touch, but let's say it's a year from now. And I'm like, Meredith, it's been a year since I interviewed you. What are we celebrating from the past year? What, what, what are we toasting? In other words, what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Um, I'm looking forward to running bigger ad campaigns. I just really enjoy the ad campaigns. And in the last quarter of the year, I um, have uh, attracted clients with that are spending twenty five thousand a month. I have, you know, two clients that are and I, and there's a there's as as a le- learner, as a lover of learning, and like learning from Amy Porterfield and online courses. You know, I have this. There's, I have this part of me that goes, okay, so we should go make a course on how to run Facebook ads. And I'm like, so I've been telling myself, no, no, with one-on-one client work uh, and serving people that we know, then I can help. But also I think that I've just seen over the last year serving people well, I mean, sometimes the, then people just, people with bigger budgets start coming. I mean, I'm going to seek them out too, but that's what we'll celebrate. We'll celebrate that my first um, $100,000 uh, ad campaign in a month, maybe. <laughs> yeah. That would be amazing. I would love yeah. to celebrate that with you. That's fantastic. How can people find you and follow your work? Yeah. So I have a website, meredithcallaher.com. And um, and there's all kinds of information there and you can connect with me. We even, I I have a discovery call or a call calendar. I really do love to hear about people's businesses. Um, if you are curious if ads might work for you and you're not sure, I, we can talk about it for 30 minutes. It's fun for me, but also I'm, I am on Instagram at Meredith, um, Meredith Callaher. Fantastic. We'll have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Meredith, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a fun conversation. Ravi, thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Meredith. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 267. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.